0: Hello, and welcome to Top Class, the OECD's education podcast. My name is Marilyn, and I work in the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. With the release of the results from the latest cycle of the Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, you'll no doubt be hearing a lot about which country students perform better or worse than students in other countries. PISA aims to find out how well school systems have prepared students who are near the end of compulsory education to participate fully in society. Each cycle sparks a new global conversation about how to move education forward. But despite the media buzz and education ministers' pronouncements, or maybe because of them, PISA has attracted a fair share of criticism over the years. We invited two education researchers to discuss the strengths and weaknesses of the assessment with Andreas Schleicher, director of the OECD Directorate for Education and Skills. Dr. Yong Zhao, who joined us by telephone from Beijing, is professor in the School of Education at the University of Kansas. And Dr. Aaron Benevol, who joined us by phone from the US, is professor of global education policy in the School of Education at the State University of New York at Albany. Thank you, Andreas, Aaron Bennevo, and Young Zhao for joining us today. Dr. Zhao, I'd like to start with you first. You've pointed out several shortcomings of PISA in your writings. What would you say are
1: your main critiques of PISA? You know, we are living in the 21st century now. There are so many new different opportunities to rethink, recreate education. Uh, But PISA, for that reason, has... uh, uh, put out you know, examples like Shanghai, China, and uh, many other East Asian education systems as the high-performing systems. And uh, even though they're high-performing, uh, but they do not necessarily represent uh, the best of education we might need for the 21st century. Sometimes I call it, uh, it's a race to the past. Even if we, everybody did recreate an education that as good as Shanghai in 2000, and the, the world has... Uh, Changed. I think we need perhaps more time and uh, more energy trying to focus on uh, rethinking, creating a uh, new education formats, new education possibilities. So I'll just stop there. So and uh, we can chat more about that.
0: Andreas, how would you respond? Well, you know, I think Pisa has opened
2: a global dialogue around educational objectives. I see the kind of questions. Uh, Dr. Zhao raises, uh, you know, what knowledge and skills should people learn for the future? It's exactly the dialogue that PISA has enabled. Uh, Governments, experts, teachers are working across borders these days to think about those questions. And clearly, you know, these are not, captures not everything that is needed for tomorrow, but it looks at some very important foundations there cognitive foundations, problem solving skills, social skills some of the social emotional components that are judged to be important. And uh, uh, the question, you know, can we actually test whether those assumptions are true? I think we can. Um, PISA has, through longitudinal studies, that uh, the outcomes that are being measured in a fair number of countries actually do have very strong linkages to students, not only employment outcomes, economic outcomes, but also their well-being, uh, perception of well-being. So I do think actually, I would agree that certainly PISA doesn't measure everything that is important for success, but it measures some of the ingredients. If people, you know, don't have a, have a weak conceptual understanding of a discipline, if they do not, you know, are familiar in the world of, of of knowledge, cannot navigate ambiguity, cannot solve complex problems, they're going to have trouble in tomorrow's world as well as today's. But so I think that's what uh, PISA is nothing more than that. It's really an enabler of a global. Dialogue and discussions. You know, we wouldn't actually look at countries like Estonia or Finland or Shanghai today if we wouldn't have had Pisa. I mean, that's when the discussion about those countries has really commenced.
3: Yeah, no, I I, I appreciate very much uh, the uh, Pisa set of assumptions um, that have uh, you know kind of been built into the uh, the the platform. Um, I would. Take issue a little bit with the extent to which there's a real dialogue. There's there's a, a commanding voice and a set of publications that go out and a very clear uh, media savvy dissemination of information. I don't think, uh, and which is not to say that uh, you know, in the in the run up, the many years and months before uh, the actual assessment takes place, there are many experts that get together from different countries. Decisions about uh, you know what kinds of factors, what kinds of variables are going to be looked at, and how to operationalize them. But these are very internal discussions, and most of them are not something that are very transparent. I think to scholars and researchers in the field of comparative education, in uh, other educational researchers. So there's a kind of faint accompli that uh, come out. Uh, the, the 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 things are uh, the, the rankings are, are are put out there. Uh, lots of the media attention, uh, but to somehow say that this is part of a global dialogue, I think, is a little bit uh, disingenuous. But I think the deeper point that I would like to make, which goes back to this question about, you know, what kinds of skills and competencies potentially could be uh, valuable as we uh, move into the twenty-first century, um, you know, the assumption for most of the international assessments, including PISA. Is that, uh, you know, these are skills that are somehow, um, it is possible to decontextualize them from, you know, the particular community or society or country in which the skills have been created and um, sustained and and kind of uh, built into, you know, in relationship to a labor market. And the items that are, you know, uh, placed into the, the PISA assessments are meant to uh, refrain from any reference to a particular context or setting. And so it's built into the DNA of a, of a piece assessment to, to see these skills as disembodied, disconnected to the actual context in which not only they've been created, but it, that they would be adapted, or that they would be implemented uh, in, uh, in, in different places. So to somehow think that creativity... The same kind of creativity or the same kind of, let's say, perseverance to say nothing of, let's say, reading skills and and maybe numeracy is equally, um, equally important and equally valued and equally kind of understood, uh, regardless of your United States or Germany or in uh, China and different parts of China and other small places. It's a very bold assumption and I think highly problematic, but it isn't something that is is uh, it isn't. You know, there's no way to tweak that assumption. Context, cultural uh, traits of a, of a country are, are not allowed to, in some sense, be part of the mechanism in which the skills are being measured and assessed and ranked. Um, so to somehow think that these decontextualized uh, competencies of skills are necessarily the same ones that are needed across all the different economies that PISA has been uh, applied to is, I
1: think, a problematic assumption. A quick follow up to uh, to Aaron's point. I, th- I think the uh, the because of the the problematic way of uh, defining what's been measured, and then based on that, we have quite uh, simplistic presentations of uh, our results through rankings, and that generates a lot of political uh, uh, interest and general public interest, you know, in a very uh, simplistic way. But then we we derive. I think the problem we derive from uh, the so-called high-performing systems, uh, strategies, policies, practices—we invest a lot of money in doing that, and that's actually uh, may not work very well. And, and otherwise, of course, is the the checks and balances, the testing-driven, you know, all this kind of alliance with centralized curriculum. I think those kind of practices are, are not necessarily the best in, in uh, from an education perspective.
2: I think comparisons are always challenging. Uh, it's difficult yeah. to compare, you know, two students in the classroom, to classrooms, to schools, uh, to systems, to countries. I think that is certainly, I, I recognize this. It's always a challenging thing to do at the very same time as comparisons enable us to learn from each other and learn with each other. And that's really, I think, the driving force between this uh I don't see why this is so much more challenging across countries and cultures than it is within countries. Much of the variability that we observe in PISA, in fact, is observed in countries, not between countries. And I think we can we can measure this. We uh, thought, I mean, to take the point that to con- further contextualize the metrics, we have done a lot over recent years to make PISA more adaptive, more responsive to the cultural context in countries. Uh, students no longer take exactly the same test, but the test actually adapts to the uh, knowledge and skills of students. So digital delivery, I think, has enabled us to do a a lot of this. So I think comparisons are challenging, but also I believe they are a very, very important opportunity for us. And uh, as you rightly say, you know, when you observe some features in a high performing education system, we never know whether Those are the sources of their success. But that's exactly where the kind of discussion and debate uh, can be productive. When I said that PISA enables debate and discussion, uh, actually, you look in the academic literature, how many thousands of articles it has inspired, people write about it. When I see ministers of education meeting these days, and in fact, you know, uh, they meet now with union leaders together. Also, that didn't happen before PISA. Uh, There is a dialogue between, you know, and unions based on a common platform. And yeah, that platform has its limitations. And I I also see we need to sort of more to make it more forward-looking, more future-oriented. But uh, for me, it's a starting point. Uh, I actually think one of the big problems in education is that everybody considers him or herself totally unique and that we believe we cannot talk and learn from and with each other because we're different. And I do think we need common languages, common metrics to enable more of a conversation and uh, certainly uh, PISA can improve. We do a lot now to make all our instruments uh, available, you know, the whole data set or we do a lot to train researchers on this. We just said over the last three months, a group of experts from the different countries here at the OECD working over several months together to make sense out of their data for their own context. A lot more on this can be done, but I think the idea of having a kind of a language and platform.
1: I believe it's very important. Well, I think, uh, uh, by the way, I mean, I applaud the, this opportunity to uh, this. Perhaps you know the, uh, the the time that for us to have this conversation and podcast kind of format. I think that's very meaningful. Uh, but I mean, I, I just you know to get back to say, I I, I would not dispute the importance of have uh, of kind of talk about data, talk about evidence. But the problem is that if the the data itself is quite contrived, is not necessarily present what we want, education. I think that kind of discussion might honestly be a waste of time, you know? And that, that, that's actually the, the other challenge that when you were um, um, uh, Andreas, that uh, you're talking about um, to make the testing more culturally responsive, which is antithetical, Uh, from the PISA definition, as a uniform kind of uh, set of skills for all people to be assessed. So I don't think they can actually go together. You know, you you make uh, the culture adoption, try to fit into the curriculum, the culture of school, of students. Uh, I know that's technically possible, but then in that sense, that that, that goes, to, uh, I think, uh, against what, uh, in my understanding, of the, the PISA, original PISA claim is that there is a set of not universally applicable set of knowledge, predispositions, you know, uh, abilities that would work in all contexts. So going back to uh, errors, kind of, uh, of challenging. I, mean, I don't know, um, you've been to other countries, you know, I've been to many countries. It, it, it has a, um, an effect, actually, it has seized almost the political energy and other people around the, the PISA, so, which really does not almost allow people to to talk about, you know, let's forget about PISA because PISA now measures. We have those measures. You know, people like competition. They like to be, uh, for all kinds of reasons, to be stand up high on the ranking. So if we accept PISA as the accurate measure of education quality uh, of uh, or not only education quality of today, but also where your youth will be in the future, that's a very powerful statement. I mean, uh, Andreas, I actually, if PISA were actually sold, as you just described, actually, I don't think it would be a big, a big problem because you were talking a dialogue, a conversation, but the reality is that it has a lot more power uh, over policymakers, over school leaders than, uh, you know, I think a simple dialogue starter.
2: My own country, Germany, you know, in 2000, the results came out. Yes, they were very powerful, but they did inspire policymakers and maybe oblige them to do something about it. Germany had huge social disparities in its education systems, was tracking children early. Actually, what has happened is that people have taken those results serious and did something about it. And actually, results have improved. The gap between, you know, immigrant and non-immigrant students that was, you know, phenomenally large is now half of its size. So yes, that's obviously what you would want, that policymaker get evidence and data in a way that helps them to move forward. This is only one, one, one facet in the debate. There are multiple sources. And, and uh, Dr. Zhao, you you, you you ask, you know, PISA is not reflecting the education we want. The problem is that there are more opinions about the education we want than there are people. And uh, all what can PISA is to bring countries together. There are 80 countries now sitting around the table thinking about precisely this question. What outcomes do we want to be made visible through PISA? And I can tell you those discussions are difficult. They are very different views. Some countries have a very constrained view. It should be only mathematics and science. Other countries see a very broad range of outcomes that uh, should be included in this. And that's a very difficult process uh, among countries. And I also take, you know, um, Aaron's point is uh, serious. We should not have, you know, a single basket of skills that are universally applicable. And that's not the way PISA looks. At this. PISA looks actually at the outcomes as a multidimensional kind of uh, phenomenon with a lot of facets there where some countries, some schools, some students may be better on some aspects than, than others. So looking at outcomes in this kind of multidimensional way is very important but the debate on you know the education we want is a very difficult one it's very different opinions and in an international sphere um it's always i think the answer should not be to drive us to the lowest common denominator and that's something that pisa has always been clear about we are not going to be constrained by the lowest common denominator of national curriculum we should be united you know what what we have in common and where we can see
0: a kind of common future D- dr bernardo i think you wanted
2: to mm-hmm. say something
3: yeah the, i mean for me there's a fundamental question which is why do we think that oecd is the best arbiter the best mechanism for having these very important discussions which i agree with andreas completely that many voices uh, both in government and outside of government within the education establishment should be involved in a discussion about what are the ultimate purposes and aims of a, of a national education system, or even subnational systems. And the OECD has very clear ideological uh, leanings that are, you know, very neoliberal. It is a place where decisions are being made of a political nature, in which um, you know there's a very particular ideological stance of the people that are determining what is going to be included in the PISA assessment and what is not. And so, I, I mean, if, if OECD were to be one of several different organizations, uh, international organizations or others that would convene uh, discussions, I mean, now we know UNESCO, for example, has a commission about the future of education, uh, precisely involving people from many different walks of life, um, so it's clear that these are fundamentally important conversations to have. But um, in the end, decisions are made. And sometimes the decisions are not neutral and they are not without biases and they are not technical uh, or in in terms of efficiency, but they are that they have very clear uh, ideological constraints and leanings of the political ramifications of, P- of PISA. Uh, are very important to keep in mind. This is not just a question of constructing evidence and having a, a discussion about which evidence shows which kinds of um, aspects of schools are more or less important in affecting change in pupils. The fundamental principles and the and, uh, ultimate uh, purposes of education do need to be discussed. I mean, even thinking of Finland, probably one of the most important reasons that F- the Finns have done well over a long period of time is because many different stakeholders in Finland over the over the course of the 1980s and 1990s came together over an extended period of time to discuss what the Finns wished to see their school system achieve and once that once there was a consensus reached uh, it, the regime change was uh, was much less important in uh, uh, establishing basic reforms that everybody agreed to that would bring the Finnish education system forward. The importance of that building of consensus, of having those conversations, of allowing for uh, you know many different voices to be heard, and even thinking about how to reflect on diverse and divergent views, I think is fundamental. And I don't think the OECD is the best mechanism through its PISA assessment to do that?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, my answer to this is actually very simple. The OECD is actually not very central to this whole undertaking. You know, PISA is a collaboration among the countries that take part in this. You know, all decisions are made by the countries that take part. The role of the OECD is, you know, just a moderator, facilitator of this debate. But, uh, the, the What is being included in PISA? is being decided by the countries that take part. And some countries actually decide to go further. For example, this year, there's been a of global competency, or if some countries choose to do this. Uh, So I think this is a member-driven organization. If these were to be done by, by another organization, you would have a very similar outcome. I don't think my organization has any direct influence on this, nor is it really that central to the process other than by bringing people uh, together and I can also tell you we're not just talking about government here. If you look at the OECD work on the future of education and skills, uh, we have student groups there, we have teacher groups there, we have people from different parts of society, employers there. And yes, they all have different views and opinions of what the future should be. But uh, again, sharing those views and opinions is something that creates common benefit for all of us. It doesn't mean that we all are going to aim for the same education systems, but uh, being able to see our differences, where do we set set different priorities, where do we make different choices, where do we have different values? That kind of uh, frame in my view is is, is a very valuable one. But again, you know, the OECD as an organization uh, is just a facilitator
0: of this. I want to thank all three of you very much for participating. I thought this was a very interesting and uh, enlightening conversation. And thank you all very much again for, uh, for joining us and for being here.
1: Thank you. Well, we hope to have more. Thank you very much. You know, this is great.
0: to find out more about PISA, please go to www.oecd.org forward slash PISA, P-I-S-A. Follow us on Twitter with a handle at OECD Thanks for listening, and until next time.